This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning. 121 times in the Bible. It, it uses the word unfailing and combines it with the word love. How many of those times do you think it's talking about our love for each other? Zero. How many of those times do you think it's talking about our love for God? Zero. How many of those times do you think it's talking about God's love for us? 121 times. Yeah, that's not a coincidence. The reason behind that is God's love for us is unfailing because it has no stuff in it. Okay? That's a really important word I want you to learn this morning. Can you just say it? Let's just say it out loud together. Ready? Stuff. Yeah. Okay? We're going to learn all about stuff and how it affects us and how it affects our relationship. And hopefully, we're going to learn how to deal with our stuff. Because if we can deal with our stuff, it will enable us to have better relationships. Are you on board with that? Yeah. And what we just did in communion was we remembered the fact that Jesus died so that he could help us deal with our stuff. And I don't have time to connect all those dots for us this morning, but just take it for face value. If Jesus hadn't come and Jesus hadn't died, you and I couldn't deal with our stuff. And so, we are grateful for all that this morning. Before we get into that, I have a couple of items of business and some fun stuff to take care of. There are two things that you're going to need as I teach us this morning. And the first is this long, skinny card. So, pull it out right now. It says, start here on the, on the front side. And uh, if you would look at the bottom, there's a place for contact information. If you come here every week, you know I'm going to ask you to put your name and your email address down there. If this is your first time here, I want to say a special welcome to you. And I want to ask you to put your name and email address down there. At the same time, I want to tell you that we'll be very um, conscientious about what we do with that. We have a desire to help you connect with God. And if we're going to assist you in that, we have to be able to connect with you. And so if you'll give us your name, your email address, and there's a place for uh, additional information, put as much down there as you're comfortable with. The more you give us to work with, the, better, the more capable we will be of helping you connect with God and helping you connect with other people. Then once you have that done, if you look on the back side, there's big, bold, black type that says life group number. Because during the month, the uh, the month of May, pretty much the only thing that we promote in this church is life groups. And life groups are small groups of people that get together on a weekly basis usually. And we have an agenda. The agenda is that we might learn and grow and develop personally and experience the life that Christ has for us. And uh, we recently uh, concluded a three-month segment of life groups. And I just have one message to give to you, and that is life groups work. Uh, it's amazing the life change that comes out of life groups. And there were quite a few of us that 
enrolled in Life Group's last session called Financial Peace University. And I just want to give you some facts and figures that, that came out of that. Um, the people that took Financial Peace University, about 150 of us, just for fun, we added up what our total indebtedness was, not counting our mortgage payments. Okay? This is just car payments and visa payments and Discover card and those sorts of things. Are you ready for this? 150 of us, our total indebtedness was $1,612,717. Yeah, that was a good whistle right there. That's a lot of money, not counting mortgages, right? Twelve weeks later, okay? We worked pretty hard at that. We, we got some really good ideas from Financial Peace University. We put them to work in our lives. And 12 weeks later, our total indebtedness was $1,357,078. That doesn't sound like a very big debt, does it? It's actually $255,000. Now, think about that for just a minute. 12 weeks $255,000, that means that we were paying off our debt at a rate of $21,000 plus per week. That sounds a little bigger, doesn't it? Now, follow me out to the end. I'll give you one more statistic. If those same 150 people, of which I'm one, okay, if we just continued at the same rate that we've been going in the last 12 weeks, when do you think that group would be debt-free? They got $1.3 million to go. When do you think they'll be debt-free? August of next year. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? Now, that's just one kind of life group. I'm here this morning because with all of my heart, I believe one of the greatest things any one of us could do in this auditorium this morning would be to sign up for a life group in the summer session and allow God to work in our lives like that. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to cue up a little music in the back. We're going to give you, this is your last week, life groups start this week. So if you want to get in on session one, you got to sign up. You pull out this beautiful brochure. Okay? Nice life group catalog. I'm sorry to say there are six groups that are already full. Well, I'm actually happy to say that because that means a lot of people have signed up. There are ten that you can still be part of. So, you look, you find the group that you want to go to. The very top part of every group says like LG number TUE-02. That would be Life Group Tuesday 02. It's the top of the Tuesday page. You put that on the back of your card where it says life group number, and that's all you have to do. We'll get a hold of you. So while the music plays, sign away and enjoy.
Yes, you have a question. You know, if you sign up for a group, we will call you and let you know because it varies from group to group. Okay? Great. Who says you can't ask questions at church? We just did, right? That's awesome. I have a question for you. Have you ever wondered? Now, we're going to talk about marriage this morning. We're going to talk about relationships and so forth. Have you ever wondered how two people could stand in front of a pastor, look each other in the eye, and with the greatest love in the world say, I'm yours for the rest of my life. And somehow, three, four, five years later, they can't stand each other. What happened? I'm reminded, you remember Ray Stevens? Used to have those funny little vignettes of, you know, the streak and Ahab, the Arab, and so forth. Well, he had a funny little vignette. And it was about a fellow by the name of Arlo Drucker and his wife, Myrna Louise who were going to go to Judge Wapner's divorce court and get a divorce on TV. And I'll never forget as he walks out of the room what he had to say because it just sort of stuck in my mind. When they interviewed him, he said, you know, my, my marriage to Myrna Louise is my third, and not one of them's worked out. So I've just decided I'm not getting married ever again. I'm just going to go out every five years, find a woman I hate, and buy her house. Yeah, what could make that kind of stuff happen? Okay, well, I want to start with a core truth. And the core truth, here, here it is. The core truth is that stuff ruins marriages. Stuff. I'm talking about emotional baggage. I'm talking about unresolved conflicts out of our childhood. I'm talking about insecurities that we carry. I'm talking about the stuff that's down, buried down in the bottom of our lives. I'm talking about that stuff. And I've got a little illustration to help us out with that this morning. I have a couple of glasses, one pink and one blue. And if you're really intuitive, you've figured out how that works, all right? And so the deal is that all of us come into, into, into marriage and we're going to assume that the stuff in here is just stuff, right? Okay? Maybe, maybe she was raised by an overly controlling father or maybe an absent father and he was raised, let's say, by a domineering mother or one who was always correcting and doting and so forth. And so these two wonderful people come, come into marriage and they look at each other and they probably ask each other and the pastor probably asks them, do you have any baggage you're bringing into your marriage? And what's the answer? No. I had all my stuff dealt with. I really don't... And you know, when you look at them... By and large, they're relatively baggage-free. But the truth is, every one of us brings baggage into our marriage. Stuff we don't even know about yet, really. It's just in our childhood. But the great thing about marriage is, we never add to each other's stuff, right? I only wish. Because what happens is... You know, one day, 
he comes home and he says to her, how come dinner's not ready? You know what time I get home. And in her mind, she plays the tape of her dad who was overly controlling and he adds to her stuff. Okay? And she responds in a way that he doesn't think she should respond. And she says, you sound just like my dad, and I can't stand when he does that. And she adds to his stuff. But you know, they're both cool. Okay? They look and say, you know, he's a big guy. He's still got room. He can handle that. It's not what he really wanted. It's not what she really wanted, but things are kind of cool and and so forth and until it happens again and this time he pours it in and she goes you know I'm not taking that anymore I'm going to feed back and so she feeds back and she says here have your own stuff right he's fine he's fine and then one day she nags him by the way you know what nagging is nagging is reminding someone of something you know they haven't forgotten So she nags him, and he doesn't like that, and he says, okay, right back at you. Here, you have some stuff. Now, I want you to notice what's happening. The margin for error is getting less, isn't it? Less and less. And this thing goes back and forth until one day he says something to her, and she can't take it anymore. And she overflows. And she just dumps And the real problem is now, between her stuff and his stuff, you know what she's going to do? She's just going to unload. And when she unloads, what happens to him? Yeah. And you have a giant mess. And guess what? Nobody has any capacity to handle any more junk. So they go, and they say, there's no solution We're going to get a divorce. And that's how two people who love each other so much, four or five years later, can't stand each other. Because reality number one is we all bring stuff into marriage. Now here's reality number two, and you have to know this. Okay? Reality number two says, oh, I'm sorry, I'll give you our goal to reduce our stuff level. And now we'll move on to reality number one, which is we all bring stuff into our marriage. And reality number two is this. Our stuff eventually comes out. Now, you got to get this, no matter who we're with. You know what she says to him when he has that initial response that she doesn't like? She says, you're not the same guy I married. What happened to the guy I married? You know what his usual retort is? I wasn't like this till I married you. Hmm. We get serious exchange of stuff. But the truth is, a lot of that stuff was already there before they got married, and it was going to come out no matter who they marry or who they're with. Why? Because here's what the Bible says. Luke chapter 6. Jesus said this, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. In other words, it's already down there. 
Conversely, an evil person produces evil things out of the evil treasury in their heart. Now, what you say flows from where? Not what your spouse says to you. What you say flows from where? What's already in your heart. Because the truth is, every one of us has at least a little evil person in there, correct? We do. And if you stir him up, he talks. And if you stir him up good, he shouts. Right? Yeah. So the evil that's in there, whatever it is, the stuff, is going to come out no matter who we're married to. The third thing you have to understand is that this stuff tends to collect and grow over time. Unless you deal with it. Tends to collect and grow over time. So now we're going to take a look at the instructions that God gives us so that we know how to deal with our stuff. And I'm going to go to a verse that if you've hung around church very long, I know you've heard this verse many times. And if you're brand new to church, I can't wait to introduce you to this particular verse because it has hundreds of different applications. But I'm going to go back to it this morning because it uses one word that carries two truths in it that are vitally important for us to catch on to this morning in order to deal with our stuff. And it's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And here's what God says, guard. That's the word I want you to circle and underline. Guard your heart above all else. Now when the Bible says above all else, that's a priority statement, correct? So when we're talking about priorities, where do you put this one? Above all else. It goes way at the top. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? For it determines the course of your life. Now, by the way, if it determines the course of your life, you think it might have some implications on the course of your marriage. Lots of them, correct? It will determine the course of your marriage. Here's my observation. I've noticed that you and I usually do a far better job of monitoring the behavior of our spouse than guarding our own heart. Yeah. Because it's easier and more natural to monitor someone else's behavior. Yeah. Than it is. By the way, is it easier to find a flaw in someone else than it is in yourself? Of course. Because you can look at them all the time without the use of a mirror. It's really hard to see yourself without one. Yeah, it just works that way. Besides that, you can see all of them. And when you look in a mirror, you only see half of you. And, and, and only half if you have a full-length mirror. And you know how we are usually. We only hold the mirror up to the part of our life that we like best. Right? Of course. Yeah. But when we look at other people, it's so... Yeah, you've all been there. You know what that looks like. All to prove that unless we're intentional about this, we will find ourselves naturally drawn to monitoring the behavior of our spouse far more than guarding our own heart. Now, I want you to see that God did not say, above all else, monitor the behavior of your spouse, for out of it flows your marriage. What did He say? Guard your heart. There's two things that are wrapped up in that word guard, and they both begin with the letter P. So they'll be easy to remember. And the first is the concept of protection. And the idea of protection is to keep the bad things out and the good things in. 
to guard. It would mean sort of like to build a wall. I want you to think of your heart like a garden. We live in the country and we have a garden and and uh, it's lots of fun to eat the stuff out of the garden, but we're not the only people who like to eat that stuff. We have deer who walk through our yard every day, and they love a fresh salad. I don't know how, I don't know what they have on the inside of their mouths, but they eat roses like they're going out of style. I don't know how they munch down on those thorns, but I can tell you they do. Because you walk out and you'll see, if you haven't sprayed it with the right stuff, you'll walk out and there'll be a rose bush and it's just got a little, it looks a little bit like those trees. Just, and there's only a few twigs left. So if you think of your heart like a garden, our garden has two major enemies, deer and weeds. And if we're not careful to guard and protect our garden from both the deer and the weeds, we have nothing to eat out of the garden. It's just that simple. Your heart is just like that. Now, what I'm amazed at is when God says, guard your heart, how we just don't get that. What kind of a gardener do you think I would be if I went down to my local store and I bought weed seed and I threw it on my garden? So, man, are you nuts? That stuff will kill your garden. There's not a person here who would do that. But you know, it's very easy for us to sow weeds in our heart. Okay? I'm going to start with a couple of obvious things. Okay? Pornography. That's a weed. Okay? I'm not just talking about Pornography, as it's usually defined, I'm going to borrow a Kevinism. Are you ready for this? I'm going to talk about emotional pornography. Okay? That's the sort of stuff like movies that are designed to lead you to where you want these two people to fall in love, even though one of them's already married to someone else. Yeah. I wish I had the time this morning to tell you some stories real-life stories that I've had to deal with in ministry that, that come out of the lives of people who never actually looked at any real pornography. They just read the wrong materials and started fantasizing about the wrong things. Okay? That's obvious stuff. Let's go to the stuff that's a little less obvious I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm going to guess that a number of us in this room have close friends who have a far greater level of skepticism and gossip and judgmental attitude than they should have. Okay? Do you realize when you hang around with people like that, they become weeds in your garden? And they sow weeds in your garden? I want to read you three scriptures and take a look at these. I want you to see, because every influence you invite in your life, whether it's a movie you watch on TV, a book that you might read, magazines that you might read, friends that you may have, every single thing that you invite into your life either influences you for good or tends to sow weeds in your life and tear down the wall around your garden. Take a look at these scriptures. 
Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or what? You'll learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Can you see you're tearing down the wall and plant weeds in your garden? If you're going to guard your heart, it doesn't mean that you're nasty to angry people. It doesn't say be nasty to angry people. What does it say? It says don't take them in and make them your best friends. Why? Because you will soon become angry and your wife will say, what happened to you? You were never, like, you were never high strung like this. And you don't realize this person is rubbing off on you. Take a look at another one. Listen to the words of the wise. This is the flip side of that coin. There are people that you could invite into your life that will actually bring out the best in you. Now, I'm a big sports nut, and one of the things, one of the ways that we tend to judge superstars in any sport, especially a team sport, is when you bring them on the team, everyone on the team gets better. They bring out the best in their teammates. And there are other, quote, superstars that every time you bring them onto the team, the harmony in the team goes down the tube. And, and actually, though their numbers are good, the team doesn't play as well. Okay? That's because of influence. I want, you, I want to show you one of the greatest passages in the Bible about this influence and how it works. David was at a really, really tough time in his life, and he was very, very vulnerable, and he was about, he, he had a choice to do something either terrible or very gracious. And here's what the Bible says. Jonathan went to find David, and what did he do? He encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Wow. So in this idea of guarding your heart, God is saying, choose your influences carefully and and screen very carefully what you allow to come into your life. So look at the TV programs that you watch. If you have a a diet of soap operas, I will pray for your spouse. I know, I started meddling. But it's the truth. There will be emotional fallout from that. You can't have that diet all the time. Just can't take that in consistently. And, and you can go down all of those paths. So the first idea is protection. Now the second idea, because protection is kind of, um, well, in some ways it's positive in that you want to invite positive influences, but you have to have a wall around your heart. And you have to continually pull the weeds out. You just have to. If you don't, you're, gonna get, you're not going to like what's in there. But the second idea is this concept of preservation. And wrapped up in this word guard, in order to preserve something and in order to make it where it can preserve itself, it has to be healthy and it has to be strong. And the word that's used for guard there actually includes that concept as well. So what can we do to make our heart strong and to make our spouse's heart strong and healthy and vibrant and good so that it can be preserved. Well, in the same way we talked about your heart being like a garden, right now I want, I want you to visualize a gunny sack. We all have them, okay? It's where we put stuff that we don't want to deal with right now. Do any of you on your desk 
have a panic tray or a, a, a tray where you put stuff you just haven't dealt with. You open a letter, you don't have time to deal with it right now. You either have a tray that you put it on or you just have a mess on your desk. Right? But we all have that place that we put stuff that we can't deal with right now, but we know we're going to have to deal with. Well, in your heart and in your mind, I want you to visualize you've got a gunny sack. Now, the interesting thing about walking through life is if your gunny sack is empty or relatively empty, it makes life relatively easy to navigate, correct? But when you start putting stuff in your gunny sack and it starts getting fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller, every time you turn around, you're banging somebody, correct? And when you want to go through a door, you have to go through a door just right because the gunny sack is too big for you and the gunny sack to go through the door at the same time. And life gets really inconvenient. Because the truth is, when stuff happens in your life, you either deal with it or you throw it in the sack. So if you don't want to carry a big sack, and I would encourage you not to, then you have to learn how to deal with stuff as it comes up. And if you don't want to carry a big gunny sack in your marriage that causes you always to have to be careful about how you navigate. And by the way, when you get two people in a marriage and they both have a big gunny sack, is that fun? That is not fun. Because eventually something triggers, and you know what happens when we get triggered? We take the gunny sack out and we just go, and we don't stop until everything's out of the sack. And it's just ugly. It's a mess. So how are you going to do that? Well, we're going to talk about it. Okay? And that's the point. You have to talk to your spouse about stuff. That's part of guarding your heart. That's part of preserving your marriage. It's talking to your spouse about stuff. But do you have to be careful how you talk? Shake your head like this. Yes, you have to be very careful about how you talk. So I'm going to give us six guidelines for how to talk about our stuff. Because this is really the heart of how you're going to deal with your stuff. Guideline number one is this. No mind games. Okay, I'm going to pick on our female friends here for just a minute. Ladies, listen to me carefully. When something's bothering you... It's not okay for you to look at your husband and go, if you really loved me, you'd know what's bothering me. (laughs) Not fair. Okay? That's a mind game. You have to talk about stuff, not guess about stuff. Okay? The deal is, The guy that you're married to actually does love you or he would not be there. So this is not a test of his love or his intuitive abilities or even a test of how deeply he loves you. You have to talk about your stuff. Okay? I'm going to pick on the guys in just a minute. All right? But no mind games. Either way. The deal is when you got stuff, you pull it out. And you talk about it. Guideline number two is this. You talk about the behavior, not the person. Let me give you some things that you can't say. You make me crazy. 
Because now you're not talking about behavior. What are you talking about? You're talking about the person. And by the way, when you talk about a person, it's hard for them not to take it personally. Because you're talking about them. Now, we all have enough humanity in us that we all recognize that there are things that we do that actually hurt and offend people, but they're not part of us. They're part of our behavior, and we would like to own that behavior so we can change that behavior, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person, even though sometimes my behavior it doesn't match who I really am or who I would like to be. So don't talk about the person Talk about their behavior. Okay? That takes the sort of the person-to-person attack out of it. Now, guideline number three is this. Be direct. Now, the, the, sort of the navigational channel here is when you're going to talk to your spouse, you have to talk directly about their behavior, but not about them. And sometimes people think, oh, yeah, I went to a counselor. He said, be direct. So I just went up to her and said, man, you make me angry. Well, that's direct, but that's not direct about their behavior. You have to talk directly about their behavior. And sometimes when people say, okay, got to talk about the behavior, then they start hinting. Okay? Don't hint and hope they catch on. Because more often than not, they will not catch on. And when they don't catch on, you'll be hurt even worse because you'll think, I talked to her and she didn't get it. No, you have to talk directly about the behavior when you say this, this, this. It makes me feel like this, this, and this. That's pretty direct, isn't it? You have to talk directly, but now listen, use loving terms. That means you stay away from words like always. And it means you stay away from incendiary terms. There's always a kind way to say something that's direct. And by the way, there's always an unkind way to say something direct. Correct? Okay? So be direct, but always use Loving terms. One of the best things that you can do anytime you're having to talk about stuff is periodically in that conversation to affirm what you know about your spouse. That's good. Honey, I know that you love me. I know that you're a loving person. I know that in your heart you're a kind person. I know that you don't want to hurt me. I know that. However, when you say this, in spite of all this that I know about you, it still makes me feel like this. That's being direct, but it's being kind. It's using loving words to say what is sort of a tough message to hear. Now, the next Guideline is also important. Come to the conversation ready to apologize and forgive. Don't come to the conversation ready to blast. Don't spend the prior 30 minutes just loading the artillery. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. 
Oh yeah, and they did, they did that too. I've got to remember that. And, and next thing you know, man, you'll be sitting down and you'll just be blowing them away. And when the dust is all cleared, you'll go, yeah, she still didn't get it. Oh, she got it. But not what you wanted. Come to the conversation ready to apologize and forgive. Why would I say that? Because, believe it or not, there are very few things in a marriage that are 100% the other person's fault. Might be 80% their fault. Might be 60% their fault. Might even be 90% their fault. But you know, let's just take the 90-10 one. You'd be amazed at how much more quickly and easier your spouse will accept their 90% if you'll accept your 10. Is that true? Very true. And by the way, if you'll accept your 10 first, not after they accept their 90, if you accept it first, gives them a lot of incentive to accept the 90. So come ready to apologize and ready to forgive. You know in my notes, you know what I wrote? Expect the conversation to go well. I'm amazed at how many times somebody will come into my office and they want some marital counseling. We'll sit down, we'll go through the very things they ought to say. And, and, and they're getting ready to walk out the door of my office. Thank you, Pastor. I really appreciate that so much. And the last thing they say is, I don't think this is going to work. Why? And what follows, what follows, if I had to summarize it, would be because I married a jerk. Well, if you head into that conversation pretty much convinced that you've married a jerk, don't expect that conversation to go well. Because you've already started out with the wrong expectations. Expect the conversation to go well. And affirm over and over again in that conversation the, the character of the person that you have chosen to marry. Because there are a lot of good things about them or you would not have chosen to marry them, right? Because above all else, you are convinced that you are a good judge of character. And of all the people you could have married, you chose this one. So unless you think that You're terrible at judging character. By the way, if you've been through a marriage or two and and they've all ended the same way, then it's probably not them. Okay? There's probably something going on in here. Okay? And, And I don't say that to in any way condemn anybody in our audience who's been married two or three times. I want you to learn how to deal with your stuff so you can have a great marriage. Jesus wants you to deal with your stuff so you can have a great marriage. God wants you to deal with your stuff so you can have a great marriage. So he's going to teach you how to guard your heart. Let's go to the last. The last. Nope, there's two more. Always respond with, I'm so glad you told me. Period. Not I'm so glad you told me, but. Because whatever you say after that, They will never hear the first part. 
I'm so glad you told Why would you say I'm so glad you told me, even though what they told you wasn't fun to hear? Because your marriage is more important than being right. Your marriage is more important than getting your own way. And by the way, when your mate is trying to help you deal with your stuff, are they really trying to help you? Yes. So I'm so glad you told me. By the way, most of you, many of you know my wife, Monica. One of her great strengths is Monica is very quick, very quick to take ownership of. She's quicker to take ownership of where she's wrong than I am of where I'm wrong. That's probably not a surprise to anybody in this room if you know either one of us. But just this week, my wife said that to me. Just this week. In a conversation that was not that easy for either one of us. She said, I'm so glad you told me. I can work on that. And you know something? That conversation ended great. And the time since then has been even better than it was before. Why? Because she didn't say, I'm so glad you told me, but we might still be talking. (laughs) Yeah. The last one is this. Pray together and ask God for forgiveness and for what? Healing. Yeah. Pray together. I mean, we're talking about stuff. You know why I lay all this stuff out for us? Because Jesus has a life for us. And as a church, over the next two years, we're talking about reaching out and taking hold of that life that He has for us. And one of the ways that we can take hold of that life is we can't just stuff the stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You can't just take the stuff that's going on underneath your heart and just stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and think, oh well, I'll just keep putting on a smiley face and I'll pretend that I'm happy even though this is the way my life is because eventually everything that you stuff erupts. And it will come out. So don't stuff the stuff. Take hold of the life that Jesus has for you. And I want to take hold of the life that He has for me. And I want to take hold of the marriage that He has for Monica and for me. And, and so if we're going to do that, Monica has to guard her heart. I have to guard my heart. We have to protect and make sure that we're monitoring the influences that both of us are bringing into our life so that we're not inadvertently sowing weeds in our marriage and then we can't figure out why our marriage is no fun. We've got to make sure that the people that are influencing us are, are, are helping bring out the best in us. And then when stuff happens and stuff does, correct? Now, you've seen the other t-shirt. It, it should have the right S word. Stuff happens. Okay? Because it does. When stuff happens, let's talk. And let's preserve what we have in our marriage. And if we talk about it with these six guidelines and we pray together and ask God for forgiveness and ask Him to bring healing, even if, what is, even if the hurt's only a little hurt, it's okay. Let's pray about it. Get it healed now. Because if it's healed now, no big deal. It's a great thing. Let's talk about how we can apply this. Four ways we can apply this today. Number one, I will, I will take an intentional and definitive step this week to reduce the stuff level 
in my marriage. Okay? Most of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, have something in our marriage that's just sort of sitting there. It's in our gunny sack or it's in our, it's in our tray that we haven't dealt with yet. And, and one of the things that God is saying to us is, over dinner, in some place, not when you're hungry or angry or lonely or tired or 10 o'clock at night when you're laying in bed, that's not the time to reduce your stuff level. But at the proper time, okay, say, hey, I'm going to take an intentional step this week to reduce that stuff level. Secondly, say, oh, I'm not married. Okay, number two is for you. I'll deal this week with an, in, an, in a healthy way with some area of stuff in my life. Because if you're not married and, and you want to get married someday, you still got stuff in here. You know, the, the closer this stuff is to the bottom when you get married, the better your marriage will be, right? Because you're bringing less stuff. So go deal with some of that stuff and deal with it this week. Third way is I'll become a Christian. I can tell you right now that outside of Christ, if you decide not to be a Christian, then the help you get from God is only a fraction of the help you could get from God. Because the real help from God is found inside Christ, which is where we end up living when we choose to become Christians. So if you've never made that choice, then I want to give you a chance to make that choice. And then the last one is to recommit your life to Jesus. You can point to a time in your life years ago when you, when you became a Christian, but somehow you just sort of wandered from it. And today, if someone were to say to you, are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I made that decision way back there. Are you living like a Christian? Oh, that's a different question. Okay? Well, today is the day to not only be a Christian... It's the day to commit to living like one. Okay? On your Connect card, on the backside, where you wrote the number of your life group, if you signed up for a new life group today, there's a place right there that says, Apply Today's Teaching by right under the life group. I'm going to pray for you, and I want to encourage you to respond as Christ calls you. Okay? If you're going to become a Christian today, we'll get with you this week. We'll lead you through that process of great decision. It's not a complicated one, but it's life-changing. And so it's not a decision that you should make just all by yourself and think, oh, well, I can sort of figure this out. We want to come alongside you and help you with that. The decision to commit your life to Christ, whatever it is, you make it while I pray. Father, thank you so much that you came to help us deal with this stuff. And Lord, when we spill over and we, we dump on each other, or we gunny sack or we plant weeds in our garden, whatever the word picture might be, when we do the stuff that increases our stuff level. Father, thank you for stopping us short and talking to us right now. Would you help us, even as we check, I'm going to deal in a healthy way with some of the stuff in my life. Would you guide us to the specific stuff you want us to deal with? And when we check that part that says, I'm going to take an intentional and definitive step in dealing with stuff in our marriage, would you help us to know exactly what stuff to deal with and exactly when to bring it up and give us the words that are direct and yet loving and kind? Lord, would you help those conversations to go well? For those of us that you're calling back to yourself, calling to be Christians, would you help us to hear your voice, to respond? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.